My guests today on Mission Impact are Terrell Thompson and Monique Meadows. Terrell, Monique, and I talk about what organizational culture is and why it so often trumps any policies and procedures that you may write, what it really takes to shift an organizational culture, and what are some of the signs that an organization is really ready to engage in culture change. Mission Impact is the podcast for progressive nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your podcast host and nonprofit strategic planning consultant. On this podcast, we explore how to make your organization more effective and innovative. We dig into how to build organizational cultures where your work in the world is aligned with how you work together as staff, board, members, and volunteers and all of this for the purpose of creating greater mission impact. Well, welcome. Welcome, Terrell. Welcome, Monique. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So I'd like to start out uh, with a question of um, what drew you to this work? What motivates you and what would you describe as your why? Terrell, why don't you tackle that one first? My story of how I got into this work was I started as an executive director of a nonprofit and I was one of those EDs that really never should have been an ED. I was right out of college. I got hired as administrative assistant and then the ED quit. And so the board promoted me to be the ED. Um, And in that experience, I learned a lot on the job and really loved the nonprofit sector. But what I was really passionate about was figuring out how to create and shift the culture within the organization. And so that landed me in graduate school, getting a degree in organization development, which is where I met Monique. Um, And then we have been, even though our degree in organization development is much more of a for-profit oriented degree, most of our colleagues work in the for-profit world. Both of us have always been in the nonprofit sector and passionate about social change. And so we have just applied all of that learning, translated it into nonprofit language, and have been applying it in the nonprofit sector. And Monique, how about for you? Yeah, so so similarly, I come to this having worked for social justice organizations for about uh, 25 years now. And initially, I was a development director, so I was responsible for raising the money and all that, which is so not <laughs> what I'm oriented for. And we, I was part of a management team that was really struggling, and we brought in a consultant to help us and figure out like what was going on and why everything was breaking down. And there was a moment where I thought, I want to do what he's doing. Like, I was like, that's what I'm wired for, right? Like, how do we heal the relationships? And, you know, how do we make sure that these, that we're um, working together in ways that, you know, really foster collaboration. And so went to graduate school, met Terrell and, and yeah, and been really loving it ever since. Uh, yeah, and and full disclosure, um, I went to the same graduate program, not in the in the same cohort as the both of you, but uh, oh. and and it, it somewhat of a similar thing that instigated me to kind of move into organization development um, was yeah working at a number of different nonprofits where they had incredible missions, mm-hmm. incredible work that they were doing in the world, and and yet there was this gap between 
how, you know, what the change that they wanted to see outside themselves, but then how they were treating, how we were treating each other, how, how the culture of the organization was. And so just kind of started getting intrigued about why, why is there that gap and how could we work more effectively together and finally stumbled upon, oh, there's a field where people do things about this <laughs> and mm-hmm. I could learn more too. So yeah, so similar. And um your work really focuses a lot on that organizational culture change. Um, just to begin, how would you, do, I mean, and we've ta- I've talked a lot about organizational culture on this podcast, but I'm curious how the two of you define organizational culture. Um, what, are, what are the kind of things that you're talking about and, and thinking about when you're, you're looking at a, an organization's culture? Uh, we define culture really broadly. Right. It's really, I mean, the the essence of it is what does it feel like to work there? Right. Every organization has a different culture. And the people who can most clearly see the culture are often the new folks because once we're in it, we're just it's like the fish in water that doesn't know they're in water. It's it's all around us all the time. And so you know, newer people who are coming into organizations can often tell you a little bit more about the culture. The other thing is that oftentimes our practices and policies that are written down that should define a culture often contradict the culture. So for example, Mm -hmm. we'll see policies that say things like everybody takes an hour lunch, but then when we look around the office, everyone's sitting at their desks, cramming food in their face while they're typing emails, right? And culture often trumps everything else. And so when we're looking at culture, we're really looking at holistically, how are people behaving in the organization? How do they treat each other? What are the relationships like? The level of trust? What are the culture around, you know, what do we do about birthdays or holidays or, right, all of that, even how we dress is part of culture. And so we're really taking a broad approach. And when we enter organizations to learn about the culture, our process is predominantly observation and talking with people. Because while we do read all the policies and procedures, that's not going to tell us the culture, right? It's really about the people. The people make up the culture. Do you want to add anything to that, money? Yeah, yeah. And so once we've done some of that observation, like we reflect back to the organization, like here's what we see, right? Here's how you're relating to each other. How, here's how you're sharing information. Here's how collaboration is or is not happening. And it's fascinating to see how just the the reflecting back what we see, how that in and of itself can shift the culture, right? Because as Terrell said, there's the ideal that they hold and then there's what's actually happening. And so our uh, coming in and assessing that and reflecting back really, so we start talking about energy, right? Really shifts the energy in the group. And some groups we work with, they're like, oh yeah, okay, this, this, looks like us and this isn't quite where we want to go and so they're they're ready to make some of those changes and some of the groups that we work with aren't right and so our work is to to meet them where they're at so that we can help guide them through a process that turns their culture into the one that reflects their values and who they say they want to be yeah i think that's that's where you know i don't know there was there was a point at which there were 
there are these cynical posters that came out, you know, with the values thing and 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 just the 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 worst of what what it could be, and you know, that's all a joke because so many organizations have gone through that process of of maybe articulating values, but then there's there can be that gap between what we that ideal that you know we think we are, but what's what's really happening day to day. And, and and part of the thing that we've seen that's such a challenge is that groups say they want to do the organizational culture work, right? And so they bring in folks, and then when they realize the the depth of time, like the amount of time, like the kind of commitment and the vulnerability that is really present, um, they shut down, right? And so groups also don't always have the resources to really invest the time, right? Folks are pulled in a thousand different directions. And so like we've found that to be one of the, the challenges is like, are you really able to commit the time and the resources, the people power to be able to dig in and do this? And so some groups are like, yes, and some, you know, aren't able to, but, but that's where I think some of that cynicism comes, right? Because there's so many starts and stops to this type of work, but it really does require just like really diving in deeply. What are some things that can help? Um, yeah, I mean, I think realizing how long um, a process like that takes and how how challenging it can be to shift culture, even when you want to. Um, what are some things that help that process um, move forward and, and go more smoothly? Well, um, the the first piece, as Terrell had mentioned a minute ago, is that you know we we do the data collection, right? So we go in, we talk to folks, have focus groups, interviews, and and really pull together um, what summarizes who they are, right? And then we reflect back to them. And what our work is is to introduce you know, concepts and models that resonate with them right and use language because you know when we talk about culture like there's some groups we can go in and work with and they automatically when we start talking about you know how our organizations reflect the natural world and like they're like yes right instant resonance and we're able to do the work um other groups are like what the heck are they talking about <laughs> you know these hippies are crazy right <laughs> so so we have that right so so part of it is you know finding specific activities that kind of resonate with the group and help them to um, connect in new ways and create a safe enough container where people are willing to take some risks with each other. Because there, often we find there's a lot of injured feelings, right? A lot of hurt feelings, right? And a lot of old narratives that become concretized in some of the systems, right? So, so what we do is like, let's surface this and find like where the opening is, right? That's the piece, like where is the opening so that we can go in and, and help shift. So it's really about making sure that we have exercises and activities that they're willing to engage in, right? That match their their culture and, and just move them through process. And I think part of it too is as the beginning, like making it really clear, like this is a, a process that is particularly long sometimes, right? And so, you know, are you already, you know, and just so gauging organizational readiness is a big piece of that. I'd love to jump in with a little bit about gauging the readiness because at, a lot of our work is in racial equity and equity more broadly. And we often get organized, well, we get a lot of organizations reaching out to us. So we're in a really fortunate position of being able to be really selective about who we work with, which is nice. Um, but a big piece of that is really figuring out, is the client ready to do the work that they say they want to do? 
because oftentimes there's a belief that, well, we can bring in someone and do a few trainings and that's going to shift our culture. Mm-hmm. And trainings are great as educational tools. They do not change culture on their own. They have to be embedded in a whole culture change process. And so we do a whole assessment process in our interview process to decide if we want to work with a client. And some of the things that we're looking for is, do they have leadership who's really invested in an equity change process? And are they willing to learn and lead both of those things? And that means that they're going to make mistakes. And so are they able to handle making a mistake and learning publicly in front of their staff Right. And are they willing to invest time and resources into this? And that includes staff time. And so most of our clients we've been able to work with to set aside a portion of their, their time each week for every staff member to do equity-based learning. Right. And that ranges in the clients. Some of our clients are doing 10%. So if you're 40 hours, four hours a week is going into really learning and engaging in an equity way that gets self-defined on what their learning curve is. Um, We also know that we need to have access to the full organization. So any organization that says, yes, but you can't work with our board, that's a flag for us. Because if you want to create culture change, it has to be organization-wide or else the default is to pull back to where you've been. So if you have any group that's not moving, it can pull the whole organization back. That's not to say that we can't do work with staff and board sort of, uh, oftentimes we have to do it separately at first because they're in two really different places, but we've got to be moving the whole organization. And that can include volunteers depending on how engaged volunteers are in the organization. So those are a couple of the things that we look for. We also talk very directly about clients about the need for transparency with us. So we need to know that clients are gonna tell us for real what's going on. Um, when it's happening, not a month later, right? Because we, by definition of the work we do, we come in and stir the pot, right? Which means Mm -hmm. that things are going to come up. And if we're not informed, because we're not there day to day, we're not going to hear it at the water cooler, which I realize is different in Zoom world, but we're not going to pick it up in that same way. And we need to know that information is coming to us so that we can kind of address things in the moment, right? It's really important to us to not be the consultant that comes in, stirs everything up and then leaves. We have seen that happen so many times and it's really, really damaging to organizations. So we take a slow and steady long-term approach with our clients. We would much rather have you move like an organization move an inch and stay there than move three inches and go back to where you were. It's really about that slow and steady progress, always moving in the direction of equity. Yeah, a couple of points I want to uh, build on there. I, I thank you for going to the the point of readiness because that's exactly what I was going to ask you about. Like, what are those signals, or what are the things that you're looking for to know that an organization is ready to to engage in the type of work and type of culture change that you're talking about. And one of the things I really appreciated, um, because I think when when we're talking culture people, it it can feel very amorphous for folks. But the fact that you get as concrete as we're going to need, you know, X percentage of staff time to be dedicated to this over a period of time, um, you know, is, is, I think that that's a 
that makes it that makes it real for folks. Like we're not going to. It's not just an add-on. It's not an extra. It's not a kind of special thing. Um, and and your point around you know training obviously is important and education is important and yet um, it's not sufficient to change culture. Um, I, can you say more about uh, what you've seen in terms of kind of that stir the pot? And then I, I think it's, uh, sometimes it's even just opening things up and not having a, the, enough time for some kind of closure that can also leave people just either hurt or confused or just like, what was that all about? You know, so lots of different things that, that some negative impacts that consultants can have if they're not careful or haven't, haven't uh, really helped the client understand, help the organization understand what kind of um, partnership is needed to really make the change that they're looking for. To, to clarify a little bit about what we regularly see coming into organizations is that often t- we very often are the second, third, fourth consulting group that a client has worked with. And the pattern that we see is consultants coming in, asking a lot of questions, getting folks to bear their souls about what's really going on there, and then moving out without real change happening. And so we're finding people are really discouraged, particularly folks of color who have just put themselves out on the line to say, this is how racism is impacting me in our organization. And then it falls on, like, it just falls. It doesn't get held. And so what part of what our approach is, is that the trust building has to happen at, in par with the level of racial equity work that we're doing, if that makes sense. So we can't we can't go in and do uh, race like racism 400 when trust is not present. Right? We've got to have the trust to hold what comes up so that when the group is ready to actually hold the experience, then we can bring that in and start to make those shifts. But it's really, really damaging to open it all up, bring people's hope up, and then nothing changes. Right. And it's really, I mean, just to the level of hurt that we encounter in some of these organizations um, host, you know, multiple groups of consultants. And this isn't not to in any way like denigrate the consultants, right? Because, you know, they may have only been able to come in and there was only a certain amount of time that they were given, right? There are constraints that they're working with, right? Um, but it's remarkable like how just how much how many tears there are that's present right in the in these groups and and for both the folks of color and then of course the white folks have a lot of fear right around you know am I going to say the wrong thing is this okay like you know what what are the what are the lines and they're they do feel like they're constantly changing right and so so our work um is like I said earlier is like we really do see it in a lot of ways as healing work and and really um, creating uh, enough space for folks where they're willing to take the risks with each other. But first it means acknowledging that there's been injury and whether that injury is intentional or unintentional, it's there, right? And, and we've worked with some groups where they're, they're ready to, to acknowledge that and, and release it. Like we even sometimes have done work activities that are like release rituals, right? For people to really name it and let it go. And, and sometimes it works and sometimes they're like, what the heck are these people talking about, right? <laughs> but again, we're, we're exploring and experimenting too. Um, and then we have those groups where it's like 
they hold on so tightly to the the injury and so we move even more slowly right but but as we're doing it we're we're naming like here's what we're seeing and here's what so we're constantly reflecting back to them so that they first don't feel like they're crazy right <laughs> like this is actually happening um and you know what agency do you have what power do you have within the system to make the changes that's also part of our work is to see um at all levels on, within the hierarchy is that there's some power there and so how with the role that you have, you know, how can you move this along so that you can move closer to fulfilling your mission? And I think the other piece around talking about culture in general, because it's so invisible, um, often we find that folks can kind of dismiss its significance, right? Like how much it really impacts, you know, how far you're getting along in your work and, and how you're able to, um, really uh, fulfill your mission. And so naming it and, and really identifying, this is why it's so important. You know, it, and there are moments where you, you see that the light bulbs go off and you're like, oh, okay, this is why we do this work, right? But yeah. And I can imagine with, you know, coming in after multiple attempts uh, with different consultants to, to kind of move the needle and having things not, you know, move forward. I can imagine that, um, for some organizations, you know, and clearly as you're, as you're describing, it really ends up creating harm in the organization. And at the mm -hmm. same time, I'm guessing that it's also part of what unfortunately helps the organization be ready to really commit in a way that they perhaps weren't in the first or second or third try. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, I mean, that's the story I'm making up, but. Uh. <laughs> Sometimes it's the case, so it is. They're like, okay, we got to do it this time. <laughs> right. Or they thought, well, well, if we just have these three trainings, then we'll be good. And, and oh, well, no, that wasn't, that isn't quite it. Um, yeah. Yeah, we're very clear with organizations that we don't come in and only do trainings. That that's just not our style. Um, we really want to go in and, and build the relationships and, and help folks see how the trainings apply to their work, right? <laughs> because sometimes there's this disconnect, which you're like, why are why am I getting this training, you know, on equity when, you know, we're doing something that's completely separate? So we uh, work to really show how it's integrated and relevant. And you talked about um, the process of building trust and going slow. I'm I'm curious, you know, especially with organizations that have have gone through a couple of these processes. Probably, you know, multiple people have already asked them many questions, had those focus groups, had those interviews, talked to people. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh my goodness, do are we doing this again? Um, do I have to tell that story again? I, I'm curious how you approach that in terms of you know helping people open up again or or to to really build that trust. Well, uh, one of the things we do is just first put it out there. Like, you know, we know you have had asked these questions, been asked these questions multiple times. And so sometimes, depending particularly on the length of time, that's this is between when the last group of consultants came and when we're coming in. Um, sometimes we, you know, take the reports that the other consultants use and use and and really put that up front. Like, here's what we already know about you. Right. And we want to build on that. Sometimes there's been a, a good chunk of time. And so we do have to ask those questions over. But again, it's just kind of putting it out there and being really transparent about it. And uh, one of the things that Terrell and I do um, is that as we're working with the groups so that the groups are willing and able to make mistakes like we uh, 
we demonstrate that. Like we we are very kind of in the moment with our groups, um, particularly. Oh yeah, I was, was going to say virtually, but just across the board, we're very um, present. And so in the moment, there are times when we're, you know, making mistakes with each other or stepping on each other, and we just put it out there, right, to show hey, folks, we are going to make mistakes together, right? You've done this before, you'll keep doing it, and, and we, we can do that and move forward, right? So it shows them that we're not coming in uh, assuming that they're all wrong and we have all the answers, right? We're making sure that they don't have that um, perspective because we, we demonstrate it. Um, but, but we really, we, 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 I think I keep going back to saying the same thing, but we just, we can, we name, like, here's what's happened already, here's where we're going to go, and here's where we'd like to go with y'all. So I feel like I might have been repeating there's, myself a little bit. No, I'm going to repeat what you said, too, because it was too important to, to not say again. It's like a big chunk of our work is showing up and being really present with people and being really transparent, and that that alone builds a lot of trust. So when we come in and say, you know, we've heard all of this, you know, we know we're the fourth consulting group to come in. We know the other ones haven't been successful and we don't want to leave you in that place. So help us figure out how we can be successful here. People really, they shift their tone. Um, and when we show up as full human beings who make mistakes, who are learning along with the client, people trust us more because we're not robots and neither are they, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so we need to be all in it together. I think, you know, another in, important thing is that we move, because we move slow, I think that helps build trust. And that includes in the interview process. So we have had, you know, multiple months before we've ever signed a contract where we're meeting with different groups of staff to make sure that they're comfortable with the decision to work with us. Because that's, especially if staff have been really burned in the past, that's an important process because we want them to be comfortable with the decision to hire us. And if they're more comfortable with another group, then they should go with another group. We know we are not the best consultants for every organization out there. No consultant is, right? It's about finding the right fit. And so we encourage organizations. In fact, we push really hard if people reach out and say, someone referred you, we'd like to hire you. And we kind of say, you should really talk to a couple of groups and make sure that we're the right, we have the right approach for your organization and where you are. And we can help with that assessment, but ultimately clients got to make the decision. And the more staff are involved in that, I think the better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you're you're almost starting the process by, by having that lengthy kind of, you know, pre-discovery, if you will, mm -hmm. um, as, as you're working through, you know, should we even be working together? Right. Yeah. I remember um, in our program, one of the classes said that like every point of contact with the organization is an intervention, right? And so like, I keep that in mind, you know, when we're doing the interviews and when we're doing the, the interviews to be hired and the interviews with the staff and like at each step, I remember that, right? So that we know that we're impacting the system, right? Each time, each time, yeah. Yeah, and I think just the, the part that I think, um, you know, for any kind of consulting project, I think oftentimes, at least in my experience, organizations kind of think, well, I'm just going to hire a facilitator and you're going to come in and help us have a good conversation and don't realize there's that whole process of talking to a lot of people, getting a sense of where you are, 
Um, and then, you know, being able to kind of reflect back to them, this is what I'm hearing, this is kind of the snapshot of uh, your organization now, so that, so that there is kind of a common ground of, um, you know, that naming that you're talking about of, um, and, and being able to, just that act of being able to kind of describe the organization to itself to be so that it can say, or the folks in it can say, yeah, that resonates or that piece doesn't, but I could, you know, just to be able to start that conversation. We try to engage staff at every step of the entire process. Now, depending on the size of the staff, that has to look different, right? A four-person organization, a 400-person organization looks really different when we're talking about staff engagement, but that's also part of it. It's, it's leadership does not have the answers, right? The answers need to come from the entire organization. And so we try to engage staff as much as possible along the way to get a lot of feedback about what is their vision? What do they want to see? How do they want to shift themselves? Um, and what, what kind of training and education work do they most feel like they need? Right? So we can build all of that in. We really deeply trust that the folks in the organization are the ones who know best what's needed. And our work is really to help synthesize that and open the door for them to be able to do that work. And how does that show up in terms of um, equity work? Because uh, sometimes I feel like there, there's a stance in that work that, that doesn't have that necessarily have that trust of the organization knows what it needs. Well, you know, in terms of how we approach equity work to kind of to, to build the trust that we've been talking about and to really kind of open the minds and hearts of the folks that we're working with is, you know, we generally have the, uh, the philosophy that, um, well, one, equity work, we, we don't only focus it on race, right? We look at the multiple aspects of identities. And so as we do that, we invite people to look at the places where they have identities that are, you know, privileged identities and the places where they have identities that are oppressed, right? And so in terms of the modeling and the transparency that Terrell and I do, like we share like our full selves with folks, right? And acknowledging that, you know, I have certain um, identities that are very privileged. I'm US born, English speaking, I live middle-class life, right? Um, and I have identities that are oppressed, right? I'm black, I'm a woman, I, you know, I have a disability. So, so what we do is we, we invite people to look at their whole selves, not just through like a single, a single lens. And so that really shifts how the conversation happens for groups, right? So you've got, you know, white folks who are used to being in the conversation where they are the oppressor, right? I mean, that's, you know, that's what we're working with here. Um, and we're saying, actually, you're more than that, right? You know, like you have many identities that you're holding where you're impacted by systems that, um, take power away from you too. So, so we bring that, the, that kind of conversation into a group when we're talking about equity. And, and we find that for the folks of color, for the trans folks, for the LGB folks, like it's a, it's a new way of looking at ourselves, right? And that is, 
I mean, it's it's really powerful to be part of those moments where the group's like, oh, right? Because <laughs> there's so much fear going into conversations around equity. And so we've found that that type of approach kind of, not that the fear goes away, but it definitely, um, I, you know, just creates um, more compassion for each other, right? That's That's one of our values that we really work with, but like, how do we create more compassion within these systems so that folks can see each other as whole beings and not just, you know, you are the oppressor, I am the oppressed, like, you know, that we're more than that. Yeah, that's great, Monique. I would, I also would add that to your question, Carol, about like, do, do we trust that the organizations have the knowledge internally, right? And, and what we have found is that yes, because they they know enough to know what they don't know or to know that they don't know at all. If that makes sense. Like, no, I mean, none of us, none of us have sure. all of the knowledge that we need to have. Right. Right. But we hear a, a, a number of our clients are predominantly white organizations that are really le- early in their learning journey. And we can absolutely work with them to help with equitable culture when they come to us and say, we're early in our, like when they have a knowledge that they're early in their learning and they have a lot to learn and they can help us figure out what is it that they need to learn to be able to create this culture, right? That is that is actually a lot easier to work with than the organizations that come to us and sort of say, well, we already kind of know everything. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that might be one of your red flags, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. Because we're all learning. There is no end point to an equity journey, right? We are all on the journey. The organizations, individuals, teams, all of us, consultants as well, are on a learning journey. And so I think when we really open up and tap in, we do know what we need to learn and where we need to grow. Yeah, I love that. That compassion piece um, is, is key. And to me, the work, you know, ultimately it's about being a better human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's certainly a, a lifelong, should be, hopefully, mm-hmm. is a lifelong <laughs> journey. If, you, if you're like, check, I'm good. I'm a good person. <laughs> yeah, you, you're missing out on what you might be learning. We'll be back after this quick break. Mission Impact is sponsored by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting helps nonprofits and associations become more strategic and innovative for greater mission impact. Download free resources on strategic planning, program portfolio review, design thinking, and more at gracesocialsector.com resources. We're back on Mission Impact. So at the end of each episode, just to kind of very much shift the, shift the focus here a little bit, I do ask a, 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 an icebreaker question. Um, as a facilitator, I, you know, everyone looks to you and say, well, what are your icebreakers? And, and I say, well, they're in a box. I have a, I have a box of cards that I use. So um, to, to, to go pretty opposite of our, where our conversation has been, I'm going to ask you this one. If you could arm wrestle any historical figure, who would you choose and why? I'm like, who am I willing to lose to? (laughs) I have no upper body strength. (laughs) 
Okay, I have a response. Okay, awesome. <laughs> you can keep steals a good buy you some time, Monique. <laughs> uh, so my answer would be Bayard Rustin. And because uh, I would love to be able to be in his presence so that I would do anything, arm wrestle, shake his hand, whatever. But he is, he has been a, I don't know, a model for me forever. I mean, I think I was first exposed to his work when I was probably 18 or 19. I actually worked at a summer program for kids from LGBT families. And one of our tent circles where the kids lived was the Bayard Rustin circle. Um, and so just to know, like, he was such, he was such the brain behind so much of what Martin Luther King was able to do, but yet he wasn't recognized for it because he was gay. And the fact that at one point, Martin Luther King basically kicked him out of the movement and then said to him, "Never mind, come back, I can't do this without you. I just think that amount of adversity he experienced, but yet kept fighting for the right of his folks, of people of color, of black people in this country, even as he was facing homophobia within his group, is really so much of what we're dealing with today as well. And that we have to bring that kind of stick-to-itiveness of even though we are not perfect in any of our movements, there are isms all over the place in our movements, we have to both be addressing those and continuing to move the work forward. It's not an it's not an either or. I feel like he held that and balanced that so well. Mm, nice. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I would say Harriet Tubman. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's so many reasons why I would be more than happy to lose to her. But the 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 main thing is that. Um, I found out maybe about five years ago that she had seizures and I have epilepsy, right? And so whenever I start to feel afraid of facilitating in front of a group, am I going to have a seizure? I'm like, those, the tapes start going. I remember her (laughs) and I'm like, she 17, 18, 19 times went back and forth and freed people, right? Led them to freedom with the, you know, without meds, without comfort, without all the things that I have. And so I'm like, Monique, (laughs) get over yourself. You know, (laughs) like you, that the blood that she has, you have too, like you're made of the same thing. And so like, I, I would love to just be in her presence and just kind of soak up some of that power because she was just amazing. Awesome, awesome. Brought two very powerful people that yes, we're willing to willing to lose our arm wrestling match with. Um, <laughs> so for the for the two of you, what what are you excited about? What's coming up? What's kind of emerging in your work these days? Well, we we're just um, starting in the second phase with an organization that is a very nature based organization, right? And we have the privilege of being able to work with them for like a year and a half. So we're really able to dive in deep with them. And we can integrate all of our things, like when we talk about the natural world and, and how that reflects what's happening within the organizations, like we can do this in a really direct and explicit way with this group in a way that we can't with some others. So I'm so excited about where we get to go with them and, and how uh, we'll get to go out and hug trees together. Yes. Yeah, I I am also excited for the ability to have in-person retreats again. Like I, mm-hmm. I I thought it was here and then it wasn't. And so I'm I'm holding on to the hope that it will be here again. 
one of the things that we've learned over the last year and a half is that we can do really deep work remotely. And it, it really surprised me. I will completely acknowledge I didn't think we could do it. Um, and we have, and it, it doesn't feed me as the facilitator in the same way, mm -hmm. because we put people into breakout rooms on Zoom and they just disappear and we have no idea what's happening, right? And then they come back. And so to be in the room where we can feel the energy of the group in a completely different way and be fed by that, I'm really looking forward to being able to do that and cross my fingers, it will be relatively soon. Yeah. Yeah, although yeah. I do I do love the um, being able to hit a button and have everyone come back. <laughs> that is a good feature. I'm trying to figure out how to bring that into in-person. Into in-person, like at the front of the room, hear me. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It was great talking to both of you. I really appreciate the the time you spent with me and my and my listeners. Thank you. Thank you, Carol. It's been really, really fun. And I'm really appreciative of the work you're doing in this podcast. It's really yes. great. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank, you. thank you so much. Awesome. All right. I appreciated the unique perspective that Terrell and Monique brought to our conversation about organizational culture change, especially that so often they are coming in after two or three or four attempts have already been made to shift culture. And those may have started with doing a few trainings, perhaps having a few facilitated conversations, and then people in the organization wondering, why haven't things changed yet? They underscore what it really takes, the full investment that is needed to change your culture and create a healthier, healthier, more intentional, more equitable culture. And why so often after several rounds of attempts, slowing down and attending to relationships Building in time for healing is so very important, as well as showing up as full human beings who have also made and will continue to make mistakes. Thank you for listening to this episode. I really appreciate the time you spend with me and my guests. You can find how to connect with Terrell Monique, as well as any links and resources mentioned during the episode in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. I'd like to thank Izzy Strauss-Riggs for her support in editing and production, as well as April Custer of 100 Ninjas for her production support. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you'd share it on your favorite social media platform and tag us. We appreciate you helping us get the word out. Until next time.